Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Today, we're here with Andy Joseph, and Andy is founder and president of Apex Supercritical, which is a CO2 extraction system based in Johnstown, Ohio. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the extraction process, the technology, his professional background. Andy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate having me on the show, and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So I always like to start with just kind of getting people's professional background. I was curious how people got into the cannabis space. So why don't you give people a sense of professionally what you were doing and then kind of how you got into cannabis, and, and then we can talk a little bit about the company and what you're focused on with Supercritical. I guess my career started uh, in the Navy. Graduated high school and did six years nuclear submarines out of Pearl Harbor. Was a nuclear uh, mechanic, essentially, uh-huh. where I, I worked on the mechanical portions of the nuclear power plants and uh, the propulsion systems on the submarine. After I was uh, in the Navy and got out, I started my engineering career at Ohio State University, where I got my master's and bachelor's degrees in welding engineering. While I was doing that, I started a fabrication business. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Navy gives you an opportunity to uh, pay for school, but they don't necessarily pay for all of it. <laughs> and so I decided to, you know, I needed to make a few extra bucks. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I started a fabrication business. Actually met a customer who needed some botanical oil extraction equipment made. Mm-hmm. He had a small glassware line and needed some metal devices made for larger capacity. Yeah. So I started working with that customer and, and you know, with things progressed along. Graduated and took a corporate job as an engineer and then quickly moved into management and found myself – as management where I wasn't getting my hands dirty anymore. Mm-hmm. And I like to, I like to get my hands dirty and, and that kind of stuff. So I missed it. So I kept doing Apex on the side and Apex was a side job for me all the way from about 2001 until 2012. 
And during that entire time, I worked with this with this customer, kind of designing and building different types of extraction systems, most of them CO2, but also some ethanol and alcohol mm-hmm. extraction systems as well. 2012 came along and I had two full-time jobs, right? And I'm in a position <laughs> where I got to make a choice. You know, yeah. it's tough. You know, I'm working corporate, going to, you know, my quote-unquote day job. And then at the same time, I got to go home and on weekends and evenings, build these and design these yeah. uh, extraction systems. So 2012, you know, was, was kind of the point where I said, I got to make a choice. Yeah. I have to do one or the other. And, and so I made the leap. Cannabis had um, found us in 2008, 2009. You know, it started to, to really pick up and, and cannabis found CO2 extraction as, a, as mm-hmm. a great alternative to the butanes and propanes that were being utilized at the time and causing, you know, explosions and, and <laughs> dirty extractions. Yeah. And it was a great option for, oh. you know, a, a need and, and the two found each other. So the, the work you were doing in botanical extractions were not cannabis up until then? That's right. They were flavorings, food products, uh, essential oil extractions, things like that. So, you know, once the cannabis industry kind of started to take hold of the CO2 extraction technology, then the, the equipment that we were designing and manufacturing started to take off. By 2012, like I said, I had two full-time jobs. So I quit my real job and decided to focus on Apex full-time. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the relationship that I had built up over the last 11 or 12 years kind of fizzled out very quickly. Yeah. Um, we did everything wrong from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Yeah. So you're talking about learning entrepreneur stuff, yeah. learning lessons. Yeah. Uh, we did everything wrong. We didn't have a single piece of paper between us. Even yeah. though we'd worked for 10 or 11 years, done you know a couple million dollars in business together, we never had a single piece of paper. Yeah. And uh, once it got to the point where I wanted to focus on a full-time, we had some disagreements on ownership, disagreements on, on intellectual property, yep. dis- disagreements on technology direction. So we decided to you know go our separate ways and, and uh, we're still competitors today. Actually. Yeah. But you know from 2012, Point here I am. I quit my full time job, focusing on Apex. I got four kids, <laughs> another one on the way, and all of a sudden I lose my only customer. Oh, yeah. Right. And so I had to build up Apex almost from scratch. Yeah. Essentially, I had a had a product, had a design, had a manufacturing capability, but I didn't have a website. I didn't have branding. I didn't have a logo. I had nothing. So I had to really start from scratch. And Google AdWords was my friend at that point. Oh, interesting. So yeah, it uh, it really worked out well. And, and Apex, you had you know you struggled yeah. a little bit before we got on the call here yeah. with, uh, with pronouncing Apex. <laughs> We spell it differently, and, and I'd love to say it was intentional. We spell it differently because there were too many APEXs out there already. Yep. So we were uncreative and said, all right, let's just spell it different. Different, different letter. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 2001, you know, it, it, being starting with an A made sense because it puts you in the front of the phone book. Yeah. Here in 2018, spelling your name differently puts you in a higher ranking profile on Google AdWords and, yeah. and Google searches. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to say I was, a, you know, had all kinds of forethought and knew <laughs> that was going to happen. But I'd, I'd rather be lucky. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's what happens. It was lucky. But uh, anyway, so since 2012 until today, you know, Apex Supercritical has been building it and um, delivering CO2 extraction systems primarily to the cannabis space. 95% roughly of our systems go towards cannabis operators throughout the country as well as international. Yeah. And in October of last year, we actually shipped our 500th CO2 extractor. Wow. So we're, we're, we're proud of that. Maybe give people a sense of, I mean, A, let's just talk about extraction a little bit, you know, because I think some people kind of vaguely know what this is, but let's let's kind of define what the extraction process kind of entails from a mechanical, technical point of view, and then what the different extraction processes are or technologies are, and then why CO2 potentially oversaw the butane and some of these other ones. So let's talk about extraction. When we talk about extraction, what is essentially involved? Like, what are we trying to do in the extraction process? So basically, another word for extraction would be concentration. So okay. it, one way to think of it is we're essentially removing the plant material from the oil or or waxes or fats or whatever, but basically the oil 
that is contained within the plant that has the cannabinoids in it, mm-hmm. right? So all your THD, all your, your CBD, all your CBG, all your CBN, all the cannabinoids are contained generally within these oily fats and waxes that are inside the plant. Most of them are concentrated in the trichomes yeah. of the plant material, but some are within the plants and the leaves and the stems and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. lowering concentrations. Essentially, all extraction is is separating those oils, fats, waxes with the cannabinoids in them from the, the botanical plant material or the organic material itself. Another way to look at it is concentrating. So by removing the plant material, you're increasing the percentage of cannabinoids over the total amount of material that they're contained within. Got it. So you're increasing the concentration. And so you're basically taking raw plant material. I mean, describe the process a little bit. So you're pre-processing that at some level so you can make it extractable. And then how does the actual process? work in terms of getting the oils or removing the plant material getting the oil out depending on how you want to look at it yeah it's complex really okay. you know there, there's not just a, a black and white one process does all kind of thing as you can imagine there's there's several different variations yeah. but generally the extraction process starts with the pre-processing stuff like you said you're going to want to dry and grind the material mm-hmm. there are other extraction processes you know particularly a, a method called live resin that okay uses wet material, basically material that's been harvested directly and just shoved right into the extractor. But we talk about most extraction processes, even if, you know, CO2, butane, propane, most of them will start with dried or cured plant material. They'll grind it to get a smaller particle size so that one, you can get more material into the vessel, but also increase your surface area. Exactly. Those pre-processing steps can also include decarboxylation. So some people will choose to decarboxylate or essentially convert the acid form THCA into THC prior to extraction. CO2 in particular, it's beneficial to decarboxylate because it's going to give you faster extractions as opposed to decarboxylating on the other side after Mm -hmm. extraction. But once you've got your material pre-processed, dried ground, and potentially even decarboxylated, you'll put it into an extraction system. It can be CO2, Mm -hmm. it could be butane, it could be protein, it could be hexane, pentane, it could be ethanol. There's there's lots of different extraction technologies, but they all fundamentally do the same thing, and that is separate the botanical oils from the plant material that's there. Once the extraction done, a lot of people will refer to this step as the crude extraction. Okay. A corollary would be oil and gas, like you know, gasoline. Got it. You extract you extract crude oil out of the ground and then you refine it into different grades of propane and gasoline and gear oil and yeah. lubrications and whatever it might be. Similar thing happens here. Once the extraction done, the crude extraction is done, you can do several different types of refining steps that allow you to then create the different product types that most people are familiar with in dispensaries, whether it be chatter, crumble, honeycomb, Mm -hmm. or dabbing applications, vape pen oil, whether sometimes it's just wholesale oil that subsequently gets winterized and then utilized for distillation. Um, (laughs) Winterization is just a process to separate the fats and waxes from the oils that the cannabinoids are in. Distillation is a tertiary or third step uh, refining process. What are, the question a lot of people usually have at this stage is, well, so what? Why do I do these different things? And generally, it's it's concentration level. Okay. Right? So, um, you know, when we talk concentration, not yield. This isn't how much oil I got out of the plant material. Okay. This is concentration. If you look at most extractions, most people are going to extract trim. Right? Okay. They're trending towards more flour extractions. But for the most part, people extract trim because trim otherwise is useless. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's got a value throwaway. in it. Yeah. yeah. And so rather than throwing it away because it does still have cannabinoids in it, mm-hmm. lower concentration levels, typically yep. 10, maybe 15 percent cannabinoid level, maybe even down to 5 or 6 percent depending on the quality of the trim. Mm-hmm. But whether it's you know 5 to 15 percent is your range for your starting plant material, the bulk extraction or the crude extraction step generally increases that concentration level to 40, maybe 50 percent. Okay. 
Now your crude oil is sitting there at 40 to 50%. If you winterize it, that's going to take you up to probably 60, maybe 70%. Okay. That's because you're taking off some of the waxes and and fats that, yeah. Leaving behind the cannabinoids, you're further concentrating. And then if you go to a next step, you know, which a lot of people refer to as distillation, that can be short path distillation, white film distillation, thin film distillation. There's several different ways to do it, but they all fundamentally do the same thing, which now you're actually boiling those cannabinoids. Right at a oh, very okay. high temperature, boiling them off and distilling them, right? Just like you're it's making like a refinery. That's a bit. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like a, yeah, exactly. Okay. So now you're distilling, and that allows you to get up into concentration levels of 90, 95, 98 even percent wow. cannabinoid concentrations. Yeah. So you know that that's kind of the the overall process to go from one end to the other end. Some people will stop; they won't go all the way to distillation, and they'll take their winterized oil and reintroduce terpenes. Uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. they're cannabis-derived terpenes that come from the extraction process, which you can do great with CO2, or they'll be artificial, right, non-cannabis-based terpenes. Either way, if you take winterized oil and you put these terpenes back into it, it does two things. One, it adds flavor to the process if you lost it through the extraction or through the secondary processing, but also then... It, uh, it decreases the viscosity, which is favorable for vaporizing pens a lot of times. Interesting. And I, I know in the uh, like in the edibles world, I know that's a lot. A lot of the, the trick is how do I figure out how to remove and then add back in the terpenes that I want, either cannabis-based or non-cannabis-based terpenes for flavor profiles and, and sort of flavor textures that you're trying to achieve from a culinary point of view. Right. And there's two different schools of thought. You know, some people want their food product to taste like yeah. weed. Some people don't want their food product to taste like weed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the decision on whether or not you're going to introduce an oil that has a lot of terpenes in it or not mm-hmm. can be done in the processing stages. Yeah. Right. For instance, if you decarboxylate prior to extraction, that's going to essentially burn off a lot of the terpenes okay. so that your extracted oil doesn't have a lot of flavor or taste or aroma. And your chocolate can taste like chocolate instead of your chocolate tasting like wheat. So you can get – so through the extraction process, you, you can get a very high concentrate THC or a kind of you – know, from a chemical point of view, high concentrates without a whole lot of flavor. Yeah, and that's in particular the distillation. So going all yeah. the way from extraction through distillation will produce you know, kind of a single compound effect where you've got just THC, for instance – and very little of anything else, 98% THC, so there's not really room for anything else yeah. to be in there. That that a lot of times is a great a great way for chefs and, and yeah. you know the culinary world to be able to utilize THC without having to affect the rest of the flavors of their of their food. Yeah, yeah. So describe this equipment a little bit, right? I mean this is this is not like little tabletop sets, right? Like to do this, you know, reasonable scale, what are these things look like what it, what's involved in actually doing uh you know industrial level extraction process that's really the the key point these are industrial systems right they're not tabletop systems they're not home use systems they're not personal yeah. uh, we do have a tabletop extractor that we made and we've since discontinued it we originally made it for small collectives and things like that yeah. beyond that tabletop unit these are industrial pieces of equipment they use you know, 230 volt three-phase power mm-hmm. they're fairly large they require heavy industrial movers and, and equipment movers things like that but basically you know the extraction platform uh if you're familiar at all with an air conditioner basically the extraction system works like an air conditioner right and it sounds like a strange okay. corollary yeah. but you know extract the air conditioners have you know a high they use freon yep. to essentially decompress and create this cooling effect that then mm-hmm. you, you run a, a fan past the heat exchanger it's got the cooling in it mm-hmm. that's what cools your house mm-hmm. co2 does exactly the same thing right what we do is we'll take liquid co2 or sometimes supercritical co2 okay the difference between them is just the solvency power okay but co2 has the ability to change the solvency power through pressures and temperatures yep. nonetheless whether it's liquid or supercritical the same thing happens you take this liquid co2 
you push it through the plant material, it dissolves the oil out of the plant material. Mm -hmm. Carry that over into a secondary vessel where you decompress that CO2. That turns the CO2 from a liquid into a gas. When it does that, it loses its ability to hold that oil that it extracted out, so it Got separates. It. Once you've done that, then you take that gaseous CO2, you recompress it, yep. and then you recirculate. And that's what a lot of people refer to as a closed-loop extraction system, meaning that you, you take the CO2 or butane or propane or ethanol or whatever. But for the CO2 case, you take CO2 and then you recompress it and reuse it, and it just sits there and flows in a circle the same exact way an air conditioner does. Got it. So it's, it's kind of like the, the CO2 is like a sponge. It goes into the plant material, absorbs the oil. You take it over to the compressing side or decompressing side. It loses its absorbing ability. Yep. It's like squeezing out the sponge, and then you send it back over. And you that's, just that's, a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly what's going on. The biggest difference is, you know, unfortunately, when you have phase changes in these gases, yeah. you get cooling and heating, yeah. right? Air, conditioner, air conditioners do it on purpose. They yeah. want that cooling and heating. We don't want it, yeah. right? And so we actually have thermal management mechanisms to offset the heating and cooling Got it. so that, you know, they're, they're byproducts of the process. So you've got to you've got to be able to handle or remove remove the heat that's generated on the compression yep. side, yeah, you know, so you that you it. can you know so that you're regulating the the temperatures. So okay, so it's basically a loop a loop system for transporting the oils between the the plant material and your collection device, and then sort of the the meta system of maintaining the thermal kind of condition or thermal stability of yep. of everything. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So there's actually there's actually two closed loops. One's the CO2 doing its thing that you just described. The other yeah. is the thermal management system, which yeah. is a water a water regulation system where we we port the heat from compression and use it to offset the heat of the I'm sorry the the cooling that happens on decompression. Got it. Right. If you if you didn't do that, you would create a bunch of dry ice. Right? That's yeah. exactly how they make dry ice essentially. And, and yeah. we don't want the dry ice. We don't want the, the secondary business on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> We don't want dry ice. We want gas. And so we actually have to heat it up a little bit to prevent it from turning into dry ice. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, you know, if I'm running one of these industrial systems, what does my cycle time on this look like? Is it, Am I doing like an extraction every 10 minutes? Does it take me six hours? Like what does the actual production process look like for, for someone who's operating one of these? So our, our, uh, our newest system called the duplex, it, it processes about eight pounds per hour. And so okay. you know, you can uh, you can do about a hundred of raw material. You can put a, a raw raw plant material. So right. eight pounds of raw plant material you can process in that time frame. Okay. Per hour, right? So you can do about 175 pounds a day. Mm -hmm. uh, the vessel sizes are going to vary. You know, there's some very there's some different models and series and stuff. But generally, you can process about 175 pounds per day of raw plant material. The extract. You know, the next question then is how much do I get out of that 175 yeah. pounds, right? And yeah. yields are going to be heavily dependent on the plant material, the quality of the plant material yeah, putting exactly. in. So yeah. it's, it's the age old shit in, shit out, yeah. right? Yeah. So you know, in this scenario, if we take our, our 10 to 15 percent trim, for instance, yeah. we'll conveniently get about a 10, you know, 12, maybe 15. 15% yield on that trim. Okay. So we're going to get about a pound for an eight pound input. You're going to get about a pound of yep. oil coming of out crude. of the event. Yeah, crude, yeah crude, crude is a better way to say it, right? And that and that's at, you said about 35, 40%? Uh, it'll be higher. It'll be 40, maybe 50%. 40, 50% yeah. concentrate. Okay. And can then I can, further, I can further refine it from there if I want to. Yep. Focus exactly. On Realize okay. every time you refine it, you lose weight. Yeah, I'm removing the non the the non active ingredients in this. I'm, yep. I'm decreasing exactly. the volume, but increasing the concentration. Um, yep. Okay, so that, that's excellent because I think that gives me actually a much better sense of the actual sort of distillation process. You, just mentioning briefly, so you, you said you know this is all based on CO2. Your technology is focused on CO2. You mentioned that there's some other ones. What are sort of the pros and cons, or what why do these other ones exist? Is it more kind of it was easier to do? The technology was easier then. Is this CO two is the more advanced? I mean, what? How do these methods compare? 
Yeah, I like to start this conversation with kind of a, a disclaimer. One, I'm obviously biased towards you yeah. too, right? So you yeah. know, that's that's what we make, that's what we do. That being said, I try to, to really heavily emphasize with people that there isn't one extraction technology okay. that's better than the other, right? There's pros and cons, right? There's a reason to use one depending on, and they all depend ultimately on what you're trying to do at the end yeah. of the product stage. So if you look at CO2, it's it's pros. The biggest advantage is the fact that we talked about before. It's tunable. You can change its solvency characteristics mm-hmm. over the, the over the course of pressures and temperature changes that allow you to be selective. So we talked about extracting terpenes, for instance, mm-hmm. set low temperature, low pressure extraction parameters, and you gain you know very very liquid stream fragrant and aromatic terpenes, mm-hmm. right? Increase the temperature and pressure and you start to get into more cannabinoid extraction, Got it. Um, you know, kind of lower end, higher end. So you have this tunability, cap- tunable capability of CO2 extraction. The other benefit of CO2 is the fact that it wants to be a gas at room temperature and pressure. So residual solvents are never a problem. Think about a gas, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, think about a beer or a soda. Yeah. You go flat. Yeah. Same thing happens with the extracted oils, all the CO2 outgasses. So you never have any residual gas or residual solvents. Yeah. The biggest con to CO2 is in order to get it to be a liquid or supercritical fluid, you have to operate at pressures of 1,000 or 5,000 PSI. Yeah, so, yeah. so the equipment the equipment becomes very expensive as a result. Yeah. Compare and contrast with butane and propane, right? Another solvent-based mechanism that's popular in the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. Butane and propane has the, you know, the, the pro is that it's very fast. It's a strong solvent. It works quickly. It's relatively inexpensive because it operates at low pressure. So the equipment can be significantly cheaper and creates some very unique products, uh, shatters and honeycombs, crumbles, the kind of the, the dabbing products. It does a really good job of making those. The drawback, the first obvious drawback is explosivity, right? And so yeah. while the equipment itself is relatively... <laughs> so it's just a minor minor drawback. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pros and cons, right? We're, we're not, uh, it, it is a big drawback. It really yeah. is. And, and the, the, big, the biggest problem with it, other than the obvious, you know, the obvious issues of, of it being, well, let me say it this way. There's two problems that come with it being explosive. One is the cost of dealing with the explosive nature. So in order to yeah. process safely with an explosive, explosive solvent, you have to have an explosion-proof class one division one facility. Yeah. So now your inexpensive equipment has to go into a very expensive facility yeah. and, it's, and it starts to offset the savings that you might get. The other one is a perception, right? The perception yeah. of, you know, hydrocarbon extraction solvents is that stuff came out of the ground at one point. And so yeah. you know, while you, you can refine it to a certain point, you can never get all of the heavy metals out. You can never get all of the residual solvents out. You can get it lower than detectable, but it's never all gone. Yeah. Right? It's just physics demands you can never get rid of it all. Yeah. So there's perception issues in the marketplace, in particular on the medical side and, and utilizing products that come from hydrocarbons. So the other big drawback for beyond the, the explosivity issue there is hydrocarbons um, – they're one and done, right? So you don't have the ability to tune oh, solvent the same way you do with CO2. So you lose the ability to be selective. You kind of get everything you can. Now, you can try to defeat that, and a lot of people will run what's called cold uh, extractions. They'll run at minus 40 Fahrenheit or sometimes even colder than that. And what they're really doing is just suppressing the power of the solvent so it's not as strong. Okay. And that and that that minimizes the amount of chlorophyll and waxes that are brought out during the extraction process. But obviously, it takes a lot more energy input in yeah. order to, to make that happen. So you can you can kind of treat it that way in order to, to mitigate that problem, but it's still a problem. Yeah. Compare and contrast it with ethanol, right? Ethanol extraction is becoming very popular, particularly in California here lately, since they, they categorized it in a more favorable category than butanes or propanes. Mm-hmm. So alcohol is all the rage right now in, in mm-hmm. California in particular. Ethanol or alcohol, ethanol yeah. is just 200 proof alcohol. It's It's got very similar qualities to butane and propane without the explosivity. So it's a very, very powerful solvent. Yep. FDA generally regarded as safe, approved by the FDA, utilized in, in lots of food and yep. um, flavoring extraction techno- you know, applications throughout 
throughout the country besides cannabis. The biggest problem with ethanol is the fact that much like butane and propane, it's one and done, right? And you've got no no real capability to tune it other than treating it much like uh, butane and propane, making it cold. Yep. So you suppress its capability, you know, it suppress its power essentially, and you get out few, less chlorophyll, less waxes, fats, but you also lost your tunability. Yep. Getting terpenes out of a butane and propane system or getting terpenes, separating terpenes, let me say it that way, separating terpenes as an, as a, you know, as an isolated fraction is nearly impossible with, with butane and propane or ethanol extractions. CO2 is really shines in that area, but ethanol is, is 10 times probably faster, especially warm ethanol. Is ten times faster than either butane and propane or CO2. Mm. So you know if your if your end goal is distillation, yeah, starting with ethanol makes a ton of sense because ethanol makes a lower quality extract, but through filtering and then the, ultimately the distillation process, you can have a very high quality distillate, yep. even though you started with a low quality extract, right? So which one you choose really makes you know more sense on what is your your end yeah. goal: distillate versus shatter versus honeycomb versus you know winterized oils that are great for vape pens with flavor, you know. They all, they're really there. What we see the trend among our larger processing customers mm-hmm. is they've got at least two, if not all three. Yeah, just because because of the trade-offs and the nature of it all depends on what your outcome is going to be. You may want to have multiple extracting capabilities exactly. to, to, and if to you, create your product. Yeah. Exactly. And if you want to diversify your product line, yeah. you really need to have all three technologies available in order to produce the different product types that the dispensaries are demanding. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your business because I think I, I, I see sort of the market or I see this whole kind of distillation sort of segment of the market and, you know, possible different ways of approaching it. Uh, you're looking at it from, it sounds like you're you're doubling down on the CO2 technology. Where are you looking to play? Where are you looking to expand? How, how are you approaching this from a business point of view? Where do you see your opportunities? Well, so CO2 has is, is really never had an opportunity to, to find itself into the what I call a mid-market application. Okay. Prior to 2012 or 2010, or you know, within the last 10 years, CO2 has only found its way into you know, the smaller scale laboratory uh, university type applications and very, very a few very, very large scale applications for coffee or tea decaffeination, okay. hops, hops extraction. You know, there, there, there's a few very large plants, but generally the mid range just didn't have any place to play. You know, CO2 hadn't found its way in there because it needed a, a low volume, high value product yeah. in order to allow companies like ours to really have enough momentum and inertia to to do research and development, innovation on the process to increase its speed and efficiency and decrease the cost. Right. So along comes cannabis. Right. The perfect high value, low volume product yep. that has a need for a clean extraction method like CO2 kind of the perfect storm. So that allowed, you know, our company to to start to really do a lot of innovation research development on on CO2 extraction systems. So here we are today and in a situation where, you know, the extraction technology has really progressed very rapidly over the past five, certainly five years, if not the last 10 years, almost corollary to like an iPhone, Yeah. right? Where, you know, you can have an iPhone four from five years ago or however long it goes. It still works, still makes calls, still texts. But nobody uses it because you know it's, it's ancient <laughs> technology, right? It's, it's, it's ancient technology. Yeah. The unfortunate reality is CO2 extraction systems are evolving yeah. at that same pace right now, and it's great because the the technology is is pacing so fast. It's terrible because customers are finding themselves two years after making a fifty yeah. or hundred thousand dollar, hundred and fifty thousand dollar purchase, they've got antiquated technology. Yeah. Still works, but it's it's not as efficient, not as mm-hmm. as fun. So you know where we're going from a business standpoint is we're continuing to focus on CO2. That is our niche. 
right? We've, we've got a, a 17,000 square foot purpose-built manufacturing facility to do nothing but build CO2 extraction systems. We've got the manufacturing capabilities to build our own vessels, build our own control systems, build mm-hmm. our own CO2 extractors. Uh, we only outsource two components at the moment, and that's our compressor as well as the, the chiller, which are kind of their own animals. Everything yeah. else gets made in-house. But, you know, our, our focus is CO2. And, you know, cannabis has been the growth mechanism for our company over the last five, maybe 10 years. But it's starting to plateau, right? We're starting to see the, the rate at which the, the expansion of new states coming on is slower. Mm-hmm. And those new states come on with smaller a smaller number of larger licenses, larger operators. Yeah. So, you know, the opportunity for extraction mm-hmm. platforms in the U.S. is starting to plateau, right? It's not going down, but it's just kind of leveling off. Yep. So, you know, where CO2 finds its its place in the world. Well, one is cannabis internationally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're looking at Canada, we're looking at Europe, yeah. looking at South America, looking at you know uh, Australia. All of these places that are starting to come online and bring cannabis applications online through licensing are new opportunities for CO2, just the same way CO2 had opportunities here in the States five, 10 years ago. So that's you know one growth mechanism that we intend to continue to follow. It's a little bit more challenging than doing it here in the U.S. because the certifications that are required by yeah. these other companies, CE, for instance, in Europe, Canada requires CRN. Australia has its own set of codes. And then there's also the additional electrical voltages that are different and language yep. barriers and things like that. But nonetheless, the international opportunity is certainly the next big thing. Beyond cannabis is kind of the next area where we're focusing yeah. as well. So looking at getting into applications for extracting, we're kind of where we started, flavorings, yeah. natural products, essential oils, with the, the push towards more natural products and, and um, fewer harsher chemicals in these, these you know, the beauty world, the makeup world, the cosmetics. Yeah. There's definitely a push towards CO2 extraction as a cleaner alternative. What are some of the nasty chemical processes that are being used now, like hexane or pentane? So, you know, that move is a little bit different in that instead of introducing CO2 into an environment like cannabis that has already been accepted, getting CO2 into an environment where we're displacing a current technology is, you know, it's a different kind of challenge, a different marketing and sales challenge. CO2, I believe, the reason it hasn't happened before is because CO2 wasn't fast enough. It wasn't efficient enough. The evolution of the CO2 technology is now at a place where it is fast enough and it is efficient enough to start to displace some of these other nasty chemicals that are being used in essential oil applications and natural product applications. So that's that's the next bigger play. And that's a longer, you know, three to five year kind of play for Apex. Yeah, no, it's good. I I think having having a strategy and having a plan for how how this how this is going to evolve, I think, is a good one. I think a lot of people are in this space just kind of making hay while things are, you know, busy and crazy and there's a lot of money flying around. But I think as as the market matures, things are consolidated a little bit. Like knowing what seat you want to be in <laughs> as the music starts to, you know, right. at least change, if not stop, right. uh, right. it's going to be a good tough. strategy. You know, the, yeah. like I said, alcohol is all the rage right now. And it's, it's been real tough, you know, for us to stay focused. Um, yeah. You know, you read, read leadership books and you go through all that kind of stuff and they all talk about, you know, focus on your niche, focus on what you're good at, don't get distracted. Yep. And I got to tell you, dude, I, it's, there are multiple conversations conversations where we said, should we build a butane or propane extractor? Uh, you know, should we be building an ethanol extractor? And, you know, we could do those things, yeah. but I don't oh, think, I'm sure you know, we could. We would, well, but I, I think, you know, there's always limited resources yes, exactly. and I think we would ultimately be coming a, you know, master of none and jack of all. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's where we want to be. So we've, we've resisted the urge. We've stayed focused on CO2 and, and uh, been a bit of a bumpy ride here in the last couple of years as, as the other technologies are yeah. kind of finding their place. But nonetheless, it's it's still, I think, the right move. Yeah. Well, kudos to you for for having the uh, 
the kind of bigger picture and the foresight and the dedication to doing that. I think that's, that's one of the things as a coach I'm, I'm constantly trying to get companies to do and leadership teams to remember is stay, right. stay focused on it because it is a longer term game and there's a lot of distractions and, it, and half the job is just keeping your eye on the on the ball you want to focus on. So, so good. Andy, this has been great. So if people want to find out more about uh, Apex, about you, about technologies, the products that you create, What's the best way to get a hold of you and find out more information? Well, so you can, uh, if you're, depends on how old you are, but it ultimately comes down to if we look at our leads. Uh, if you're somewhere between, you know, five and and probably about 30, then you're going to go straight to the internet on your phone yeah. and uh, apexsupercritical.com, A-P-E-K-S, yep. supercritical.com. There's a ton, we got a, a whole slew of videos on there awesome. um, talking about our, our business, talking about our dogs, um, talking <laughs> about, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff, maintenance on the equipment. So Apex Supercritical is a great resource. If you tend to be in the, uh, in the 65 to 85 range, which, you know, we've yeah. got a number of those folks as well. The phone is typically the mechanism that they choose to use, which yeah. is uh, 740-809-1160. Uh, alternatively, feel free to email us. It's uh, info at apexsupercritical.com. Great. If you want to email me directly, it's Andy J at apexsupercritical.com. Awesome. And I'll make sure that all those uh, all that information is in the show notes so people remember it and, and can click on things. Uh, and it was a pleasure. I'm curious to stay in touch and kind of hear how things develop. It's a fast-moving market. Maybe one last question. If you are uh, an entrepreneur getting into this space these days, if you're interested in kind of the cannabis world, where would you start if you're going to start a new business? Where do you see the opportunity or where do you see the, the need that needs to get uh, addressed? Well, you know, I, I've got I got two things I'm going to say to that. You know, one is find your niche. So, yeah. you know, don't don't chase whatever is popular, or whatever's on the news. Find your niche, find out whatever you're good about and what you're passionate about and ultimately drive your passion. Yeah into you know the marketplace because if you're not passionate about it when things fall when things start to yeah. go bad oh my god it's terrible so that's that's you have to be have to have that passion have to have that drive because yeah. that, that's going to help you weather the storm the other piece of it is uh, i'll tell you it's a different marketplace than it was just five years ago you know as an entrepreneur that's experienced fast growth in the cannabis space we were lucky we were in the right place at the right time nowadays you know looking back on it i think my biggest mistake is we didn't grow fast enough well, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, we were the, we were the 24th fastest growing private company in the U.S. on the Inc. 500 yeah. in 2015, and I'm telling you, we didn't grow. And that fast wasn't enough. fast enough. <laughs> it was not fast enough. You should have been top five. Um, well, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it, it ultimately what it, what happened was because the the market is growing so fast, yeah. we weren't able to position ourselves to prevent the competition, yeah. right? And so even though we were growing extremely fast, we were doing everything we could to hang on. And I resisted the urge to bring on capital, mm-hmm. right? So you know, I still own 100% of the company. And you know what? Looking back, I think in this marketplace with a fast-growing environment, I should have looked to bring more capital on faster, yeah. so that we could have been bigger soak today up, than what we soak are. Soak up more of that new market, yep. and, prevent and the competition, more, yeah. and take more of the market share. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sage advice. Uh, I, I, this has been a great conversation, great insights. Uh, I'm curious to stay in touch and see how uh, the next 12, 24 months play out uh, for you and, and for the industry. And I really appreciate the time. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>